Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. We've been away for a couple weeks. We finished up our review of The Bad Batch, and then both of my regular co-hosts, or all three of my regular co-hosts, wound up going through difficult moves at exactly the same time. So it was kind of a good time to take a hiatus for a little while, but we are back. And I will say quickly that this episode was recorded under some difficult conditions, so the sound quality is not going to be quite as good as it normally is. But I apologize for that, and I promise you that our next episode will be right back to the normal sound levels you can expect from us. And today we're talking about the Darth Bane trilogy. These are the the books about the founder of a modern Sith. If you haven't read them, don't worry. We're going to explain it to you and talk to you about all the things these books let us know about the founding of the Sith as they are in the Star Wars movies, about what we know about the Sith and what they tell us about the Jedi, and how it leads to the characters we know so well. All that more after commercial break. We have no control over Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined, as I said, by Jonah Kelman. Jonah has been a, a good friend and the person who was pushing the uh, Star Wars books on me for a long time. I kind of resisted until uh, Jonah wore me down. And so I think it's really, you've been on the podcast a couple of times now, and I know especially you you really can dive deep into like Jedi lore and Sith lore and these books. So I'm just really glad to have you back. Thanks. I'm excited to be back. Books cool. are what I do, but particularly the Legends canon books. Awesome. Starters. Awesome. Well, and so let's let's take a quick moment just to we're going to get into spoilers for the books, but for the moment we're going to talk in a kind of non-spoiler section just about why these books are important. And let's start with what you just said because I think these books fit in kind of a weird place where they are part of the Legends canon. So officially Disney has said that they are not canon. Yet something that's has been happening a bunch over the last couple of years has been more and more things that are in the canon universe that are very clearly inspired or often making direct reference to things from the Legends canon. So, for example, uh, we're going to have Jonah on for a later episode where we're going to talk about the Bad Batch TV show, which is very clearly drawing a lot of references from the Republic Commandos books. And in this book as well, I think there's Darth Bane is a character who's now appeared in um, Star Wars Rebels. Or was it uh, Clone Wars? Uh, I can't remember which, but yeah, he was definitely okay. referenced in one of the animated shows. Yeah, he was referenced in a couple of them. He appears as one. I think he's been referenced in other things. And so, yeah, talk to us about kind of where these books fit, as you understand it, in terms of canon or not canon, and, and why these you think are so important to understanding the Star Wars story. Well, so they're not currently official Disney canon. Um, however, they are part of the relatively new uh what is it? Essential Legends Collection. That's currently a handful of books. I think it's like 12 books. It has the original Thrawn trilogy by uh, Zahn. And then mm. you have the entire Darth Bane trilogy as some novels reprinted uh, in celebration of the 50th anniversary, um, published by Del Rey, and they include the Darth Bane trilogy. Um, and now Darth Bane and the Rule of Two in particular are fundamental in a lot of ways um, right. to the Sith who are, you know, our primary protagonists. You have like you can't not have the rule of two and have the Star Wars movies. Right. Um, I mean, in the in the prequels uh, when Mace Windu and Yoda are talking about the prophecy and, and the fact that a Sith has been found again, they specifically mention that there's always two. No uh, master and apprentice. No more, no less. Right. 
one to embody the power of the other to create. Like, that's a quote from the movie. And while this is about how it was formed, I think the best way to take it is this is a legend. This is a tale. Yeah. This is the story that people tell in the world of Star Wars. This is not necessarily fact, at least for now. Um, it's not canon, but it is right. the story that inhabitants would know. And this is the story that they would tell if you know they somehow had access to the diary of Darth Bane, yeah. Dark Lord of the Sith. And and I love that because I think that's such a great way of talking about it because. I think often in these universes, it can feel like, well, okay, we know for a fact what happened. We know for a fact what happened 500 years ago. We know for a fact what happened 1,000 years ago. But the fact is that's not how history works, you know? History is told by the winners. We know that fact. We know that, um, you know, often there's so much in a story that as it gets told in an oral tradition or even a written tradition again and again and again, it changes, it grows and evolves. And so I, I love that way that, that Star Wars is kind of doing that because what it means is that they can, you know, bring more and more of these characters and these stories into the canon without having to feel like they have to be exact replicas. You know, it's it's kind of like what Marvel and DC can do with comic books where it's very clearly referencing, but they're going to tell their own versions of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there is something in Rise of Skywalker that I felt was a reference to these books. And it might not have been intentional and we'll get there, but not during uh-huh. this spoiler-free period. I, I definitely thought so as well. So I'm going to look forward to, to talking about that. And so let's talk about what it is these books are about and sort of why that's important. Because it, as um, for those who, who just kind of, this is not really a spoiler, it's kind of like the general outline of the story. Um, so I guess if you want to know nothing about it, then yeah, stop here. But kind of the what the story is about is it's not the literal founding of the Sith. As the, the legends go, at least as I've read it, um, the Sith and the Jedi have both been around for millennia. No one quite knows exactly, you know, there's different, various different stories about how they started. I'm sure there's some Legends books that go more into that. Yeah, that'd be the Dawn of the Jedi books right. and comics from 25,000 years before the Battle of Yavin. And those are right. alien, but... <laughs> but, you know, this is the moment where, like you just said, the rule of two starts. And in in the in the prequels, you know, they talk about how no one has seen the Sith for a thousand years. These books are about the events that happened a thousand years ago. And sort of the last time the Sith were known... And what happened to this great army of the Sith and how they became just the rule of two. And I think I love it both because of how much it tells you about the Sith and goes, you know, I love villains. I, I love knowing more about how someone thinks when they're the bad guy, quote unquote, because it's, you know, they're not just mustache twirlers. They do have coherent logic often and right. like internal motivations. But I also love because it also tells us quite a lot about the Jedi because the Jedi as portrayed in this are also very different but we see a lot of hints of sort of where they're going to become. Right. Um, this is set after the Old Republic games. So after Star Wars, the Old Republic, and after the KOTOR games, one of which is getting a remake soon. Very exciting. Um, but it's set after you have hundreds, if not thousands, of Sith across the galaxy. And right. It talks about the formation of the modern Sith, and it's a complete shift in philosophy at least in my opinion and it's one that lasts for several thousand years and does what i mean this isn't a spoiler to say unless you haven't seen revenge of the sith but this new sith philosophy does what no other sith organization did which is pretty much wipe out the jedi Um, right 
and it's fascinating to see the seeds of that planted in these books. Definitely, definitely. And, and the last cool thing, especially for people who love the Legends canon, is a lot of this book is referencing or is talking about the characters honoring and referencing the history and legend that is Darth Revan. Yes. Who's another character who people will know from other Legends canon, I think also from the video games. Yep. So, yeah, so his story becomes a really important part. So that's what we're going to get into, and let's kind of just dive right into a plot summary. Uh, and it's a three-book trilogy. I'm not going to tell you the full plot of each book. I'm just going to go through the major highlights of the trilogy, and then Jonah can fill in some details. Um, and then as we tell the story, we might go into more details, but this, I think, will give you at least a, enough to understand what we're talking about. So uh, this man, Dessel, is a miner. He at one point fought with the Sith army, uh, as you said, because at that point it was just like the Jedi had an army, the Sith had an army, and, and right. most and of them were Force-sensitive. just Force users. There were fleets of recruits and volunteers and conscripts, just normal people without any powers who were like, the Republic's stepping on me, I'm going to shoot back. Right. Um, and, and yeah, and so, and, and so you had the warfare going, he was a soldier at one point, he had a very abusive father, he was kind of beaten up all of his life. And eventually he kind of strikes back and discovers that he is actually uh, Force-sensitive, that he has the Force. He's found by um, the Sith, who take him to a academy, which is basically like the darkest version of Hogwarts you've ever heard of. Although no transphobia, so better than Hogwarts. But, um, you know, it's it's a Sith training ground. And so it's a, there's a lot of killer be killed and be trained and a lot of uh, cunning in politics. But it's all happening at a time when... Uh, for generations, for millennia, the Sith have been racked by infighting because there are hundreds and thousands of Sith lords and there's some degree of, like, the, the strongest should rule. But what'll happen is, like, one strong person will have four people who are kind of under them. Those four people will get together and kill the strong one and now everything is weaker because it's four weaker people who've killed a strong person. Um, and and so along has come a guy named uh, Lord Khan who has declared that the Sith must be a brotherhood of equals, which is funny because a lot of women Sith, but he still calls it a brotherhood, but fair enough. Um, you know, he's like Magneto in that regard. And now, so he wants everyone to be equal and everyone to be the same in regard to the Sith. I'm just over here shaking my head. Like, dude, that's, that's not what the Sith yeah. do. <laughs> it really isn't. And, because they talk about how, like, this is both the greatest strength and the greatest weakness of the Sith, is this, you know, constant infighting. And so Bane is a person who, while he's studying, he starts to really have doubts about this. He starts to read a lot of the history. He's very fascinated in the archives and in learning more about all these ancient Sith and things like that. And, and he eventually realizes that, like, this philosophy just can't work. Uh, he has his own sort of struggles with the dark side and like his own compassion gets in the way in some ways, which I have an issue with because compassion is a passion. Uh, but we're going to get into that at a later point. But, but yeah, so he's wrestling with things. And over the course of the book, he finally fully accepts that he is a servant of the dark side, that he can slaughter anyone without compassion or without any remorse or guilt or morality, as, as other people understand it. And the book ends with him having destroyed all of the Sith. Uh, not like all the Sith infrastructure, but all of the Dark Force users who are part of the Sith destroyed an awful lot of the Jedi and everyone else in the world believing that the Sith are all gone. And he also winds up stumbling upon a young girl 
who has discovered her force powers like even stronger because two Jedi killed her, basically her pet, her best friend, and she lashed out and killed them. So, uh, and her name is Xana, and she becomes his apprentice, and now we have the rule of two going forward. Uh, the second book is about a lot of machinations and uh, things that they go through as he's training her and she's learning. And they have a lot of moments of doubt of each other. And like a couple times she thinks about overthrowing him, but he's not, she's not quite ready. And he doubts her. And like, it's just, it's a lot of, you kind of just like, if you two could just sit down with a therapist, you'd figure all this shit out. Yeah. It, but, books, but of course that's the whole point is at some point she is supposed to take over from him. Yeah. Books Sorry, two what you and say? three felt a lot like two characters in a sitcom who are just like, but what if they're betraying me? Yeah. They're going to do it. And part of the hilarious thing about that is that's the entire philosophy. Right. And and that's kind of the point of when, when they talk about the rule, the, the ambition being such a strength and a weakness. I think this is a lot of what it goes into. And so, and then the second book, there's a lot of fun adventures with the Jedi and you can see more of the Jedi temple and things like that. And then in the third book, um, you, you again have like the two of them kind of plotting against each other. They also introduce a couple of new characters who are other Force users. You get to see how both Bane and Xana try to recruit potential apprentices of their own. A whole bunch of these people wind up, you know, coming together in this big maze because of plot, plot, plot. That's kind of contrived, but it's fun. And you get this great adventure of like five Force-sensitive people all plotting against each other, all running around in a in a maze together. And it eventually ends with Xana and Bane facing each other, having this epic struggle and at the last moments, Bane using a Sith ritual that he's heard of, where... Oh, we're not talking hit... about that. Okay. <laughs> not yet. Okay. Basically, it um, it ends with Xana having won, but it not being clear to what extent Bane still has influence over her, and her taking on a new apprentice, and thus the rule of two continuing on. Yeah. I, like... To me, book one is setting up what the rule of two is and why it's important. Book mm -hmm. two is exploring what that means in a practical environment. And then book three is the succession and, you know, the actual dynasty of evil. Right. Which exactly. is a fun word that I don't yes. know <laughs> if I agree with evil. Yeah, that's, you know, from certain points of view. I'm sometimes uh, so a Sith apologist, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know it's morality i can't quite say i agree with but i um if you start from a position of the jedi are dumb i'm on board <laughs> when I mean, you then get to a so therefore we should slaughter innocent children because it feeds our anger and makes us more powerful i generally have to get off the bus about oh, then oh, no, 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 but, no 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 they never did that yes he did in no, no, book no, no. he did slaughter innocent children but there was always a purpose to it. It wasn't okay. just needless slaughter. It would be a no, no. waste. That's what I said. He slaughters them in order to strengthen himself, to strengthen it, like because he feed the dark side feeds off of their fear and and horror, and that's what feeds him. So Very, I'm just saying. Okay, so okay, one I time he did kill there. kids to just be angry, but all of it is for survival. It's <laughs> getting rid of witnesses and creating a narrative. Yes. Uh, and he I does actually make a point about how you shouldn't kill without purpose and the people who do are sadistic fools who don't deserve to be Sith. Right. Like he called um, a lot of the Brotherhood of Darkness petty and malicious and idiotic because they were. They're just a lot of the Brotherhood were like Saturday morning cartoon villains. Right. 
This, by the way, also is why Jonah will be a frequent guest on my Star Wars podcast, but will probably never appear on the Superhero Ethics podcast. I did <laughs> once to yes, apologize did, no. for the Sith. We, we had, and actually, it is a great episode. We go into Sith, uh, and in the end, Jonah did concede that slaughtering children is probably not a good thing. So just to, you know, if people are worried who I have on my podcast. Needlessly. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay, fair. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, folks. I'm not actually a killer. <laughs> just wanted to get that established in case any law enforcement might be listening to this by any chance. Um, but anyway, so let, let's dive into uh, what the Sith are. So start with what is the philosophy of the Brotherhood? And why do you think it is so opposed to what the Sith should be? So, the way Lord Khan structured the Brotherhood of Darkness was there is no leader. He styled himself as first among equals, which he wanted to get rid of the infighting, which is emblematic of the Sith throughout the ages. Um, Sith have always fought Sith and Jedi, which has made it so that they can't win a war because they're too busy killing themselves. Right. Uh, but the Sith philosophy is gaining strength and gaining power and showing dominance. Um, and it's about brutal honesty. Mm -hmm. um, you A Sith would not tell a white lie. They would not lie to protect somebody's feelings. They would feel that that person should be able to take the hit or they're weak and deserve the pain that they get. Right. Um, and if you look at Darth Revan and uh, Malak, I believe is the other guy, um, back in the height of the Old Republic, which is about three, two or three thousand years before the Darth Bane books, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, they are, they're not quite master and apprentice. They're partners who are always striving to find superiority. And Sith mm. believe very strongly in uh, unnatural selection. Right. Um, if you're strong, you deserve to live and you deserve the rewards that you can claim. And if you are weak, well, that's your own problem. And I'm not going to help you with that. Right. Yeah, and so the Brotherhood kind of, they take a lot of that, but then they get locked into this idea of, like, I, I think the way I would see it is it's kind of like all the Sith should be superior to everybody else, but that all the Sith should be equal up at the top instead of that being yet another pyramid. Right. Is that, you think, a fair way to describe what I think the Brotherhood so, yeah. believes? And I think part of the issue is that Lord Khan sees that the infighting is damaging them in their battles against the Jedi, and he's like, okay— what do the Jedi have that we don't have? Unity and teamwork. So let's right. be a team and work together. And oh boy. It causes problems. <laughs> Reading the first book, um, the master of the Academy is Cordis, I believe. And he mm -hmm. doesn't trust Lord Kopech, who brought Bane to the Academy. The instructors don't trust any of the other instructors. Everybody's hiding things from each other. Students are encouraged to kill each other if they can get away without being caught. They still have all of these um, ideas of the strong survive, the weak fall. Right. But they also will penalize you if you're 
if you do it in the wrong way, which is in opposition with the what they're telling you to do. Um, and that's part right. of the problem that Bane runs into at the Academy. They're like, you right. need to be ruthless, but also you should have not killed that guy. Right. They're creating this kind of like weird hybrid model. And one of the things is that on some level it's working. Like as over the course of the book, we learn that they are coming very close to destroying the Jedi. And part uh, in part that's because the Jedi have been led by this um, guy named Lord Hoth, who is pretty clearly falling to the dark side to some extent because he is now so locked in that like, I need to defeat my enemy. I hate my enemy. All the things that Yoda will later teach you have to avoid. Right. That they're both kind of trapped in this just endless struggle that clearly just is not, it's not helping anyone. And, and so I think it's, it's interesting to see that like on some level, what he's doing is working, but also it's, it's, it's building a structure that's so inherently unstable that of course it's going to fall apart. You, you have like one of my favorite sort of tropes in media is the alliance that falls apart. The minute, the minute the enemy is defeated. And you have to sort of imagine like if they did succeed and destroy the army of light and wipe out all the Jedi, immediately the Sith would have started fighting with each other. Because now the whole, like, we have to be united to fight the Jedi would go away. Right. Like, if the Jedi, or if the Sith victory isn't 100% absolute, if they get 99% of the Jedi, they will fall to infighting, and then the one Jedi who's left is like, oh, there's two left, chop chop, you're both weak from the fight, game over. Right. Um, so so what is Bane's philosophy in, in opposition to this? And, and this is also where, um, just to fill in more of the plot... A lot of this Bane comes up with himself, but a lot of it he goes back into the archives and then eventually winds up uh, traveling to find uh, the tomb of Darth Revan and finds what's called a holocron, uh, which is kind of... Was it Revan's tomb or was it just one of his temples? That may that may be true, yeah. Um, but it, yeah, thank you for the correction. But yeah, so he... Um, he but he finds his holocron, which basically had... Which you may remember holocrons are mentioned in... Uh, Revenge of the Sith. I'm not sure if that's what you were referencing, but I definitely thought that was kind of a callback to this movie. Uh, but I think Holocron show up in other places, th these books, but I think Holocron show up in other places as well. But so, so the point being, Darth Revan is kind of the main person who Bane looks to as an inspiration. And we hear, because you kind of like in this Holocron, it's like the spirit of Darth Revan can teach you. It's kind of like force ghosts, but in a, like held in this one particular place uh, for the Sith. So so I'll, there's an awful lot of, like, Darth Revan's teachings before he went back to being a Jedi that are inspiring Bane. Yeah. Um, this is something that I just really enjoy. It's a trope that I see a lot in sci-fi and fantasy books. It's mm -hmm. the protagonist of the story relies on books. Darth Bane is reading the books here in the Broken yeah. Empire trilogy by Mark Lawrence. The protagonist, Jorg, reads a bunch of books. If you read The King Killer chronicles by patrick rothfuss mm -hmm. kvoth reads books dresden reads books every hero in every fantasy series effort my is, my favorite hero in game of thrones you know drinks and knows things because he reads right they're That's, all yeah. bibliophiles and it's just so validating to know that the victor is always somebody who likes books as much as i do yes <laughs> i do love that part especially because bane is often described as being this just like huge hulking muscular man yeah he's you know? like uh an early comment by somebody's like did somebody shave a wookie like he's two yeah. meters tall and he spent the first 20 years of his life as a miner with a massive powered jackhammer and so he is just ripped 
and he's spending all of his time in the library being like, ooh, I found this really old book. <laughs> and yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah, it's a fun thing. So, but yeah, so to go more into what it, what is it that he finds so objectionable about the Brotherhood and what does he want to do instead? He finds that the idea of equality, like the idea of equality obviously has no place. Um, but a lot of, another big problem he has is that a lot of the Sith lose themselves to their emotions. Um, mm-hmm. Bane is significantly more philosophical than any of the other Sith at the Academy, including the instructors. Many of them are very arrogant. They're like, we know how this works. We figured it out on our own. And that's a good... Their ego comes in and they don't let their ego be challenged and things like that. Right. It's a good trait for a Sith to be arrogant, to have confidence. Um, But Bane has... He preaches patience and caution. He heeds his emotions, but he's not lost to them. He he actually uses the dark side as a tool, which is what everybody, what every Sith says they're doing. But 99% of them are just lost to the dark side and acting out on their baser emotions. Whereas Bane is like, you need to make cold, calculated judgments. You need to be willing to right. do whatever needs to be done. Sacrifice anything, sacrifice anyone. Um, Which is something that I find so interesting here because, you know, if you started Star Wars with the early movies, you know, the first introduction we had to all this is that the Jedi philosophy is, you know, the dark side is, you know, an uncontained emotion. And that, you know, you if you hate your enemy, eventually you will become, become like lost to hate, lost to fear, lost, which is, you know, something I think, you know, we see in our own world all the time. Right. And certainly is, you know, that's exactly what um, the Jedi in, the, in, this, in these books are doing, where they so hate the Sith that they're just losing any control and, and becoming dark side themselves. And, and so this is, I think, one of the most interesting things about Darth Bane is that to some extent, he doesn't think like... The Sith philosophy seems to be the exact opposite. Like, no, always rule your passions. Passions always, no control. Bane is, I mean, he's by no means a great Jedi. He is Sith. But he does seem to have a little bit of that sense of the Jedi idea of, like, you don't want to let yourself lose yourself to these passions. You know, you still want to have control. He's just like, but nowhere near as much as the Jedi. He's built different. Um, Late in book three, he says... The dark side will devour those who lack the power to control it. It's a fierce storm of emotion that annihilates anything in its path. It lays waste to the weak and unworthy. And he's acknowledging that the dark side is dangerous. The dark side can and will consume him if he's not always vigilant. Um, And I think... Dark Jedi, which are separate from the Sith, they don't follow the Sith philosophies, do fall to the storm of emotion. They don't make cold, calculated decisions. And I think that a lot of the Sith that we see in the movies, um, I think Kylo Ren is not a Sith. Kylo Ren is a Dark Jedi. Mm, Yeah, Um, I think that's very accurate. And Darth Vader, I don't think he's a Sith. Palpatine, Sith. Vader, Dark Jedi. Um, With the distinction Mm. being... Do you control the dark side or does the dark side control you? Right. 
I think that's a really good way to frame it and understand it because I think one thing I think I'm often frustrated by is that the Star Wars books and the movies especially, but the books that help filling it in, are not really very consistent about like what happens to Force users who are not necessarily Jedi or Sith. And, and I like the way you frame it there because I think that's, you know, utter and total passion doesn't make sense. Like that that's, it's madness to some extent. Right. Um, let me say uh-huh. that again. It, it's madness to some extent. And I think... I really like that idea that that Bane puts forward of, yes, none of the control of the Jedi, none of the equality, none of the, like doing this for justice, ride your passions, but don't let them ride you. You know, it's, it's, it's that's the real flip for him of controlling these things instead and, and letting them loose when you want to, but not being controlled by them. Right. I think Bane's problem with the Sith of his era before him, beyond them being cruel and petty and arrogant was that they were all self-centered and short-sighted. Um, right. They they were like, okay, we're going to defeat the Jedi. And he's like, okay, so after you beat the Jedi, then what? And they're like, I don't know, we'll kill each other? And he's like, that seems really dumb. There's got to be a better way to do this. Um, so and- what what is Bane's long-term vision then? Because that's, I think, one thing that is never... That's where I feel like it, it, it does get into a little mustache twirly because it's still a sense of like... Overthrow the Republic, rule the world, the universe, mwahaha. Like, is, is it just power or is there anything else behind that? So looking at the last two phrases of the Sith Code, you know what? Let's just go over the whole Sith Code. I know you can look cool. it up yourself online, but it's a relatively short thing. It starts with peace is a lie, there is only passion. Um, the And Bane has always been in war. He's always been the target for abuse. He's always been somebody who has had to struggle. And so he knows right. that peace is a lie. Huh. Through passion, I gained strength. He has found that his anger and hatred give him the drive to act. Through strength, right. I gained power. So they're the same word. Whatever. It's a synonym. Yeah. We could have skipped that line. Through power, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. The force shall free me. And Bane, and previously as Dessel, he felt very trapped. And right. his goal here is, I don't ever want to be trapped again. I want to do what I want. I want to be free to use my power the way I want to. And the only thing that's stopping me is the Sith, who he eliminates, and mm-hmm. the Jedi. Um, now, the Sith have very obvious weaknesses um, because mm-hmm. of their infighting and their arrogance. The Jedi are, they have different weaknesses that right. can be challenging to exploit, but he does exploit them. I like right. his plan is what happened during the Clone Wars. Yeah. And and in that regard, one thing I, I really noticed is that some of Lord Khan's plan is, is embodied in what he's doing. He just wants to do it in a very different way because like I keep mentioning, it's the warfare that is corrupting the Jedi. And that's the exact lesson that, that Bane learns and that, that again is passed down to all the time to Palpatine or Palpatine, where the plan is to, you know, force the Jedi into the Clone Wars, which as we we've talked in a number of places about, especially in the Clone Wars episodes I did, you know, about how that's a big part of what leads to the fall of the Jedi, because the Jedi being generals, the Jedi being war masters is just so against everything the Jedi are supposed to believe. So I, I love that there's that through line all the way through from Bane to Palpatine. Yeah, I, it's something that I really like, and I think it's super impactful. Yeah. 
Let me ask here, though, because this is one of the, the first line of that code is the one where I feel like Bane is sort of willing to say, I'm not going to go all the way on this. Because one thing that Bane does numerous times throughout the books is to meditate um, and to, like, find a sense of inner peace. And to me, when I when you say peace against passion... To me, peace there doesn't just mean like an absence of war. Peace means being calm. Peace means being patient. Peace means not flying off the handle every time you're angered, but holding back and plotting your revenge. So, Am I mis misreading it or do you think that it's true that to some extent he is maybe changing the meaning of that first phrase or sort of accepting that that first phrase needs to be tempered somewhat? I So he is... I think he is seeking peace throughout the entire trilogy. What he wants right. is the ability, like he wants to stop being attacked. He wants to be left alone to his own devices, um, but he knows that peace is a lie. So meditating isn't against the code of the, the Sith code. It's right. I'm taking this moment to myself, but while I'm doing so, I'm going to be in a locked chamber where my apprentice can't come in and stab me because this peace is a lie. Um, okay. If I leave myself vulnerable, if I believe in peace, that's the second I lose. Got it. That's so there, my a, reading of it. I can understand that. And so, yeah, so there is some degree of temper over the, the, the passions, but never to like let them go entirely and always to be vigilant in that way. Right. And, and this is, I have to say, and I, I know you're the Sith apologist, you'll probably disagree with me here. This is where I think the megalomania stops making sense. And I, I get very much why Bane would think that. But there's a... And I, I wonder if this was intentional by the author. There's a couple of different times on the book in the books where Bane and Xana get to a position where they have great wealth and great comfort and they're on a planet where no one bothers them. And I so always wonder, like, why did... Why isn't this enough? You know, like, yes... There's a small chance the Jedi might one day find you, but like no one's looking for you. They all think you're dead. It, 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 it's kind of this, it, to me, there's this paradox of the fear of ever being controlled. It, oh yeah, actually maybe this is the best way of saying it. I feel like the one fear that he doesn't control is his fear of ever being controlled because there's a number of times where he basically has found some degree of peace, but he can't, he, it can't be enough until he is literally ruling the galaxy. Yeah, I think that's true. Like, he doesn't believe that that peace will hold. He believes right. that he will be found. He believes that he will be betrayed and must increase his strength. The other side of it is, I think Bane does believe in his philosophy. And I, I think he thinks he's the good guy here. Um, mm. He thinks that the Jedi weaken the galaxy. He thinks that mm. the galaxy is better if the strong take what they want and do what they want. Um, that's not a philosophy I agree with. Um, right. But. Because I think... in his idea, like if it, once the Sith rule the universe or rule the galaxy, the idea is that they would sort of like, he doesn't want people to overthrow him, but that like just, he would, he would encourage that, you know, like planets would conquer each other. So that the strongest planet would have like dominance in different areas. And, and, and that would sort of be like, he would kind of impose that philosophy upon the rest of the universe or the rest of the galaxy. Right. I mean, that's how you get advancement by challenging each other. You don't get advancement right. by meditating and saying, yeah, we're all friends here. You get advancement, technological or spiritual 
by challenging those beliefs and the strong challenging the weak beliefs is how the strong beliefs stand out yeah i think that's a great way of putting it and let me ask have you seen the show babylon 5 i have not okay uh no spoilers for it then but i will say that there is a we wind up finding out that that particular philosophy of encouraging conflict so that the strongest can survive, the weakest can be called, and you're basically like encouraging evolution is one that's very central to one particular group in that move, in that uh, TV series, which is fantastic, by the way. I'll add uh, it to my list. Just rewatching it. Um, so let's talk about Beyond Bane. Obviously, we find Xana is his uh, apprentice, who often goes by the name Reyna. Um, and... She is learning about it all, and eventually she takes over, sort of. We'll get to that. And then they also meet other people who want to be Sith apprentices, some of whom are very clearly dark side users, some of whom maybe dark Jedi, some of whom maybe could be Sith. What do you think we learn about the Sith and like these, how these philosophies play out once it gets beyond Bane himself? It's very interesting because nobody, very few people live up to Bane's expectations. Um in the first book, he has three potential apprentices, uh, Githany, Kasim, and Rain slash Zana, um, as she changes her name when she becomes a Sith, as is their right. tradition. Um, and the first two, Githany and Kasim, were members of the Brotherhood of Darkness, and they he rejected them or they rejected him in favor of the brotherhood in favor of working together to defeat the Jedi to them. The end all be all was defeat the Jedi, kill them all. And then turn back to infighting um, without that last part being spoken. And it was very interesting uh, seeing the philosophy of Kasim and Githany compared to Bane and how they made him think about what was going on. Um, Mm -hmm. In the first book, before Bane has developed the rule of two, he's talking with Kasim, who is the combat instructor at the academy, uh, who has taught Bane everything Bane knows about lightsaber combat. And Bane is given... Kasim's master's lightsaber when Kasim believes him to be strong enough. And right. Bane's like, oh, you, your master gave this to you as a gift? And he's like, no, I took it from him when I killed him. And Bane's like, I'm sorry, you killed your master. And I think that's when the first seeds of the rule of two were planted in Bane's mind. Because right. Kasim is like, yeah, I needed to prove that I was stronger than him. So when I thought I was ready... I challenged him to a duel to the death, murdered him, took his lightsaber, and was like, I am better now. Yeah. Um, and Bane was like, well, that sounds better than this, we're all friends, bullcrap. Right, but what I find fascinating is that Bane, he seems to believe, like, he he's looking for people he thinks can be convinced of his philosophy. Yeah. But he doesn't want to convince anyone of his philosophy. <laughs> like, to some extent, he believes that someone else has to of their own volition, understand everything that's wrong with the Brotherhood before he can, like, because with both of them, with Githany and with Kasim, he never really fully, like, he he starts to explain, but the moment they sort of show any sort of, like, 
still interest in part of what the Brotherhood stands for. He's like, no, okay, it's not even worth trying to convince you. You just have to die. I think he tried with both Githany and Kasim more than once. Um, Kasim, maybe not. Maybe he killed him a little bit fast. Um, But with Githany, he definitely tried to convince her a couple of times. Uh, And I think he even considered uh, Kopech, the previous... Mm -hmm. instructor not instructor uh, the guy right. who found him um but i think that he also feels that they were corrupted by the beliefs of the brotherhood um right which is why he ends up going with rain who is a young nominally jedi who's been on the planet Rusan for like two months and has been known by the Jedi for about as long. And so she doesn't have these ideas of Mm -hmm. what the force should be like, how people should act with regards to the Jedi order and the Sith order. She's all, I mean, in this way, he's actually mirroring what the Jedi do because the other two he was thinking about were adults. She's 10 when he finds her. Right. Um, and I, I think that's pretty telling. Um, although later, Potential apprentices are much older. Um, right. Hetan from Rule of Two, and then Set Hearth and the Huntress, who's uh, Itkochki, I believe. Yeah. I'm mangling that pronunciation because I'm trying to remember <laughs> the order of letters, but um, she's a bounty hunter. Right. And... So, top. Go ahead, I think sorry. the original question was about like what what do you see about the dark side and the Rule of Two and the Sith in in uh, in Xana and, and some of the others that come across. I think that part of it is that Zana doesn't know any other life. I mean, she was picked up right. as a kid and told, this is the way it is. Um, this is the way to power. This is the way to keep anybody from killing your friends ever again. Um, use this hatred and this anger. These are righteous feelings. And I think, I think that's actually the strength of Bane's philosophy to his potential apprentices. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the Jedi. The Jedi, of course, as we all know, are like, yeah, you're not allowed to have feelings. You're not allowed to have relationships. Like, you can feel grief, but not act on it. You can feel happiness, but not act on it. And as soon as you have the feeling, like, you get it for a minute, and then you need to suppress it and get rid of it. Right. Um, and I know that you, like, the Jedi absolutely reject personal attachment. And Bane rejects personal attachment as a weakness. Um, yeah. But he doesn't ban it. He doesn't say don't have personal attachment. He says, know that it is a chink in your armor. It is a place where somebody can get in and hurt you. And going to Zana and saying, these feelings that you're having, this rage and this anger, it's valid, is incredibly powerful. And going to the Huntress later and saying, this desire to be stronger, this desire to prove your superiority over your prey that's valid use it um i think that's what gets people into the sith being told that their feelings and emotions are valid and respectable right yeah because that's very much not what the jedi do and you think about um both in like with anakin skywalker but also uh one thing i'm really loving about the high republic books the book set like 200 years before battle of yavin um they're going to the same thing. The thing that so many of the Jedi wrestle with is that they have these, you know, I mean, think about like, we've learned really explored the idea in the last 20 or 30 years that psychologically, like repressing your feelings is not good and doesn't help. Right. 
uh, like Githany, even though she was mostly used as a prop, her backstory is, I was told that I'm not allowed to have feelings, and so I left the Jedi because I wanted to have feelings. Right. And I will say, like, I there's some interesting parts about the dynamic between the two of them, especially in terms of what it says about him, about Bane and his feelings and relationships. Because, yeah, he definitely has a sense of, like, the passion of lust is one that particularly is very afraid of in terms of, like, ever l- lowering his guard. And the idea of, like, it, it's kind of sad in some way because part of, like, to me, some of those str- most, some of those powerful human passions or of any sentient being's passions are our passions for others, you know? And that can be hate, it can be anger, but it can also be love or it can be lust or it can be protectiveness. And none of that seems to exist for Bane. Like, you can't have any of that because, as you said, that would give you a weakness. And I, I just think there's such a great irony there that the, you know, on some level, the thing that destroys Anakin Skywalker more than anything is his love and his lust. But actually, the Sith aren't any more okay with it than, than the Jedi are. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say that they're not okay with it. I think they just, Bane at least thinks it's important to recognize it as right. a potential weakness. Um, the healer, Caleb is at one point Bane is sick and needs healing and he goes to this guy Caleb and Caleb sticks his hand in a boiling cauldron of either water or oil like his it's a, yeah it's soup yeah like ruins his arm and he it's boiling water and like that's going to be painful um and Caleb is immune to threats of death or injury or torture or whatever he's like do whatever you want to me you can't hurt me and Bane's like well you got this daughter here what if I dropped her in the soup what if I put a single splash of hot water on her what do you do now and Caleb's like you know what you got me and Bane wants to avoid that Bane above all wants to avoid weakness and I think he's fine with uh, passion for somebody else for personal attachment as long as you're able to either protect them wholly or right. acknowledge that peace is a lie, they will be destroyed and you'll have to take out your anger and revenge on the person who, who hurt you. Right. And that it may well be that that person himself might betray you. Right. And and I will also say that part of that is um, I, I enjoy these books quite a lot. I think the plot is very good. I think they're very worth writing reading. I think... The prose is somewhat purple at times. There's a lot of just, you know, this, he swung his lightsaber with the force of a thousand, you know, like it resonates. It's just very, very sort of like 10th grader, like every adjective you can find throw in there writing. Yeah. And where he gets really bad is that in terms of like toxic masculinity and how people write women. Oh my God, these books. <laughs> and like the, there's definitely in the books, like the, the two main women characters who are Sith um, Zana and Gethany both use their sexuality very much as a weapon and like all the flirtation scenes between uh, Gethany and Bane are just very much about like flirtation is who will have the upper hand and who will make the other weaker and I, I actually have lust for this person so I'm weak and it's just like have you yeah. ever seen a healthy relationship dude? Like they do exist out there. So yeah. the- it, it's just one caution I have about the book because I, I think that is for me far and away the worst parts of the book. The yeah, books. the women are generally used as props and, like, heteronormative hotties, um, mm-hmm. it, which is not good. Um, but, no, Bane hasn't seen what a good, healthy relationship looks like. He grew up with an abusive father and no mother and then immediately joined the army 
and was then sent off to the Sith camps where they were like, yes, murder is okay as long as nobody knows that you murdered them. So, but that now, doesn't really excuse it. In the Legends canon, are there other books where Sith characters do have loving relationships, maybe with a, a like a, a lover or with a sibling or with something like that, where like you you do see people who feel like exploring more positive passions is still a possibility? racking my brain there's some in the old republic series that were tied into star wars the old republic mmo a little bit um Mm -hmm. and if you want to get into spoilers for the legacy of the force no just just knowing that like there are some good examples of it out there uh, what i was kind of get at i wouldn't necessarily say that they are healthy relationships though (laughs) that's fair because these dark jedi or sith are generally controlled by their emotions right and so they're overprotective or very likely to lash out aggressively they're not healthy relationships unfortunately Um, right i think though um actually in there is one that i can think of Mm, between two brothers who love each other very much Darth Maul and Savage Opress oh yeah that's a good example Um, from the Clone Wars right like they are their care for each other is what drives them and I will say and maybe this is part of and this is part of maybe how it works is there's a couple of times where when they do have conflict it's important for them to establish that there's a clear hierarchy Right. You know, they are brothers. They love each other's brothers, but they are very much, um, you know, a, a the master and the apprentice. And it's Maul often who has to sort of remind Savage that's the rule. And frankly, if that's the idea that you can only really have a relationship like that as a Sith where there's a master and apprentice, maybe I'm pretty happy that Star Wars never showed a uh, example of that within Lovers. Because I think just the misogyny in general already, like, I, let's just not go there entirely. I'm fine, fine with those, that topic never being discussed. Yeah, um, there is a story somewhere. I want to say it's mentioned in the Darth Plagueis book, which is also in the Essential Legends collection, um, where Darth Plagueis mentions a Sith Lord somewhere after the time of Bane, but before uh, the prequel series, so somewhere in those 3,000 years, uh, who never hurt anyone. He his power came from his love for his family. He died surrounded by friends and family. He was a very well-liked, very cared-for person. Mm-hmm. Um, and his power just came from the fact that he gave himself wholly over to his relationships. I don't think it was explored any more than, like, half of a yeah. paragraph in one book. Uh, but now I want to find that again. And I will at some point. Because to me, that's the kind of that's kind of what I have in mind when I think about like, at what point do you just say it's enough, and I want to actually enjoy these passions instead of fighting it all? You know, like it's kind of the same question today of like, once you've got like a hundred million dollars, can't you just stop like and just enjoy it instead of trying to make more? Um, that that's a whole other political thing that we don't have to get into. But but yeah, I love that those examples are out there for sure. Yeah, they're very rare and far between because the happy sip does not make a good enemy for the book. Yeah. This this will be somewhat of a, a complete conjecture because as far as I know, I've read most of the books about these characters and I've never seen it really explored. 
if Padme hadn't been killed uh, or hadn't died in childbirth, do, do you think Palpatine always just knew that was going to happen? Or do you think there could have been a world in which, as Palpatine saw it, you know, his apprentice had a wife who he protected and who wasn't force sensitive and was never a threat, but that Anakin, or, that Anakin could continue to be that? Um, or do you think at some point Anakin would have had to uh, kill Padme or cut ties with her in some way, whatever, whatever way it went? I think that Palpatine sees her death as the trigger condition for the end of any hope of redemption for Anakin. Right. Um, and so if she survives childbirth, I think he would then have her killed as quickly as possible and her children killed as quickly as possible. Um, right. Because as I think that one of the important things that comes out in some of the later books, um, the new Jedi order and exploring Luke's um, development of the Jedi is that love is important and critical to how the Jedi should function. Um, right. The problem with the Jedi of the old Republic era is that they became bureaucrats. They became defenders of the Republic, not defenders of the people. Right. Um, and so Which they is also did, very true in the, uh, in the Clone Wars. Yeah. They did what the Senate told them to. And yes, making emotional decisions is difficult, but if you don't have connection, I think one of the things that's important to the Jedi of Luke's time is that you're willing to lay down your life, not just for your ideals, but for somebody in particular. You're willing to sacrifice yourself, your well-being, for somebody that you care about. And I think that makes a stronger Jedi um, than emotionlessness. Um, If we dip into the Republic Commando series, or if we look at Ahsoka in the Clone Wars, she has a lot of passion. She loves Anakin as a brother, and she loves kenobi as well and she has all this passion and she uses it she doesn't hide it Mm -hmm. Um, and i think that it reinforces the strength of her ideals the ideals are no longer abstract philosophies they are real questions it's not would you sacrifice yourself for somebody it's would you sacrifice yourself for somebody that you love would you right. sacrifice yourself for Anakin? And Ahsoka's answer is absolutely yes, I would. Um, and I would never ask him to sacrifice himself for me. Right. Have you read the High Republic books? I have not. I haven't read any of the new Disney canon books. They're on my list, but they keep on printing more of them. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's overwhelming. I, I started at the there. beginning to exactly not have that problem. I, I'll just say, I think I will be really excited to talk to you about them whenever you get around to them, because Mike, they're exploring a time when the Jedi approach to relationships is very different. Um, basically, and they've now made this incredibly explicit, not like, I mean, not like, you know, lewd, but like using the word sex Jedi Padawans are expected to kind of play doctor with each other, you know, and to explore their feelings and to be sexual with each other. And that it's basically like at the point of, you know, becoming maybe a knight or just a certain point in your, your growth uh, into being an adult, you basically take like your vow of celibacy. Um, But that definitely was encouraged. And that 
one of the things that's coming up in the books is that that isn't always good. And um, it, it, or it might be good, but it's causing some problems. And one of the theories that I think a, a number of fans of the books are now starting to develop that I think may well be true is what they're kind of building to is that the Jedi had a real problem 200 years ago because they did kind of, you know, let people pretty far off the leash in terms of forming attachments. And that's part of why by the time of Anakin Skywalker being discovered, they're so rigid about it. Um, which which I also would really, whether or not that, that particular direction is where it goes, I love that because just like as you were saying, you know, stories become legends over time and legends become myth, etc. Um, but also like institutions change and grow and the degree to which you might have the same code for a thousand years, but the way it's interpreted and the way it's enforced and which parts of it are enforced more than others is very much going to change. And so I love the idea that, yeah, the Jedi haven't been always the same over these thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, I, th I think that's very interesting. And something that I noticed um, that's tied somewhat to the way the Jedi Order changed is um, in... I, I can't remember if it's uh, the... Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith, but they mentioned the Lost 20. Um, mm -hmm. 20 Jedi Masters who left the Order. Um, and the Jedi Order at this point has been around for 25,000 years, give or take. Huh. And Darth Bane was roughly 3,000 years before. So at the, at the time of Darth Bane, there are... The Lost accounts for 12 people. So in the first 23,000 years there were 12 defections of Jedi Masters. And then in the next 3,000, during Bane's rule of two, there were eight defections of Jedi Masters. Mm, yeah. Um, and to me, that indicates either Bane's philosophy was very effective or the way of the Jedi without the Sith to hold them together was not strong enough. And yeah. so you have a higher rate of defection of Jedi Masters. Because I think that without the Sith as an enemy, you get more and more gray Jedi. Um, mm, force yeah. users who are not directly affiliated with the Order, but who are not dark Jedi. They're just like, yeah, we use the Force to like scratch our back and make the farm grow. We don't use it for like galactic justice. Right. And I think that's kind of an overall theme of these books and, and a lot of these works is that, yeah, often to hold a group together, like trying to defeat someone is a very powerful motivation. And this is true. I mean, it's, you know, in terms of like an enemy, but often like, you know, a cause, you know, like you're, you're you know, a whole group of people brought together to like, you know, uh, you know, cure a disease. Okay, we've cured the disease. Now, now what? You know, you don't have that that thing holding you together in quite the same way. Right. That's um, a terrible example. There's always more diseases, but you know what I mean. Like, I, so yeah, I think that's a great thing of, of how these books explore it. Uh, we've hit almost an hour, and I don't want to go too much longer. So, uh, I, I have one kind of last question for you. But, but uh, do you want to give just like in five minutes maximum? Talk about what happens at the very end of the books, and sort of what what you understand is the significance of it. So, absolutely. And so this um, is a big spoiler for the very end of the books. If you don't want to know that, uh, you know, check out. Yeah, this is critical to the entire plot of the third book. Um, Actually, for that, let me go ahead and do our, our closing now then. Uh, obviously, this, this, uh, 
Let me go ahead and do our closing now then just quickly. So if anybody wants to sign off, as always, this is a uh, Ethical Panda production. Uh, you can find everything about how to contact me and how to contact us and get feedback in at theethicalpanda.com. Uh, we love feedback, positive, negative. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you agree with. Tell us if you're a Sith apologist or a Jedi apologist or if you think uh, Jonah and I need to be locked up. Or, you know, whatever your thoughts are. Um, we'd love to hear it. You can also always check out my other podcast, Superhero Ethics. As well as by now, uh, I can announce I am now the host of, one of the co-hosts of the Marvel Movie Minute, which is a podcast that literally does an episode on every minute of a Marvel movie, and right now we're doing Thor. So if you search for Marvel Movie Minute, each episode's maybe like 15, 20 minutes long, 25 minutes, probably more like. Um, but we're going in, like, we go in incredible depth, and it's, you know, we talk to people, we have guests on who are experts in makeup and hair and talk about that aspect. We have... Uh, professors of Shakespeare who are going to come on and talk to us about the Shakespearean aspects of all of it. Lots of great things to do. Uh, so please check that out. Please check out my other podcast. Check out all the other great podcasts at the Stranded Panda Network at strandedpanda.com. Uh, and of course, Jonah, for those who want to follow more of you, where can they find you? Uh, right now, you can find me at, uh, I guess, mostly on Facebook. I'm going to, I have a Twitter. I have fatelfgames.com is where you can find my games and some of my writings um and i'm planning on starting a podcast covering all 147 legends canon books in sequence uh and that will be the archives are incomplete nice okay i'll definitely uh be wanting to talk to you about that maybe coming on as a guest from time to time absolutely awesome well thank you so much jonah and to all of our listeners thank you so much and let's uh now dive into that last five uh, five, uh, let's now dive into the end of the book all righty so i'm gonna start with the beginning of the book Okay. Five um, minutes again. Five minutes. <laughs> yeah, five minutes. All right, looking at the clock. So the issue that Darth Bane sees in Dynasty of Evil is that he wants Zana to challenge him, um, but doesn't know who'd win. If he wins, he doesn't have time to train a replacement because his explorations into the dark side of the forest and things that have happened to him have weakened his body, and so he doesn't have enough of a lifespan left. Um, so she has to be certain of victory due to his weakness um and she's not ready to challenge him yet and so he's like do i need to find a new replacement and start training them now do i start a fight with her etc etc and he's like well i've heard of immortality if i become immortal then i no longer have this time pressure and i'll just in theory i'll have enough time to train a replacement even as my body fails me and so i'll be able to get a suitable replacement for zana um and so he tracks down darth and dedu uh, who developed the Rite of Essence transfer. And eventually things do come to a head with Zana and Bane fighting with a wonderful callback, which I thought would have been a great ending to the book, where um, they're facing each other down and Zana says to Bane, I have surpassed you. Now I am the master, which is a beautiful callback to A New Hope. Right. Um, Bane says, then prove it. They charge towards each other. Battle begins. That would have been a great cutting off point. What they do instead, what uh, Drew does instead, is they have a battle. Bane is losing. And so he initiates the Rite of Essence transfer, where he takes his essence, his mind, and tries to force it into Zana's body. And then there's a contest of wills inside. Whoever wins that contest of wills is the person who lives. Only one person can live in a body, we think. Right. And 
it ends. And Zana's body turns towards their chosen apprentice. Uh, either to replace Zana or to become Zana's apprentice. And this woman, Darth Cognus, says, is that you, Bane? And Zana says, no, 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 I am Darth Zana. Bane is dead and gone forever. And then her left hand twitches, which is... um, Something Bane was doing. A physiological reaction that Bane had been having throughout the books. Now, what's fascinating to me is that I don't think there's any reason Zana would have that twitch. And there are plenty of reasons why she would lie, or Bane would lie, about taking over her body. Because if you are the apprentice, and you know that when you become more powerful than your master, if he can just pop into your body and take all of your power, Mm. you're not going to be motivated. You actually don't think Bane, you think Bane won the fight. I absolutely think Bane won the fight. And you know what? Interesting. Here's my wild out there theory. He won every other fight. I think he was... That's how he has the knowledge of Darth Plagueis in Revenge of the Sith. And you know what? This is the callback from Rise of Skywalker that I was talking about. Mm, Go for it. At the end of Rise of Skywalker, Palpatine in his throne says, I have all of the Sith in me. And my out there theory is that over the course of 3,000 years, the essence of Darth Bane hopped from one Sith to another, picking up their knowledge and skills and plans and resided in Palpatine, literally. So I, I think it's a very interesting theory, for sure. I'm, I'm fairly certain, I'm trying to look it up now, but I'm fairly certain that the author has specifically said that the intention was to be very clear that Xana had won the fight. I mean... It's very clear that Zana won the fight. She's like, yes, it is me. I am Zana. Bane is dead and gone forever. That's a lie. Peace is a lie. She lost. <laughs> She's dead. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Most of the folks I've spoken to uh, see that differently. And I think I do as well. And I'm, I'm see, give me this. I'll, I'll let it sound. I'm going to see if I can find it. What's the name of the author? Uh, Drew Carpetian. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so the author said, uh, he wrote actually a blog post about this because like, a lot of people have been arguing about it. So who won the final confrontation between Bane and Xana? I'll be honest, I thought it was pretty clear in my writing. I wrote the scene from Cognus's point of view, uh, which is the, the kind of new apprentice who's watching, to keep you guessing to the last instant. But when Xana proclaims, Darth Bane is gone, I am Darth Xana, Lord of the Sith, and your new master, I thought it'd be pretty clear. The whole thing with Xana's hand twitching was only to show that some part of Bane had passed through to her. How much? Was he still alive in some way, or just a small part of his identity imprinted on her? Was supposed to be the ambiguous part. But I never wanted people to assume Bane had taken over Xana's body successfully. Which, by the way, does not make your reading wrong in any way. Like, right. that's the fun part of a headcanon is, you know, who cares what other people think? Yeah, like he even mentions uh, in that blog post that some people speculate that he took bodies all the way down to Sidious, which he was not trying to imply. Right. Um, and I think... I I prefer being ambiguous. I want it to yeah. be ambiguous. Because I like that too. one of the things that I do like is that Bane wants somebody stronger than him, which Drew mentions. Right. And it's not necessarily about physical power. That's not what this is about. Like, if they were to have just a straight up and down lightsaber fight, Bane wins. If they are doing push-ups, Bane wins. If they're doing 
Sith sorcery, Zana wins. If it's seduction, Zana wins because right. she's a heteronormative hottie. Um, and, and he's also made clear that he thinks the idea of like honorable combat is nonsense. He right. thinks there's nothing wrong with like stabbing someone in the back, like using cunning and betrayal is just as important. To right. Him. What he wants is somebody who has a stronger will than him. Right. And if Zana wins in this rite of essence transfer, she it is simply a contest of wills and he wants the strongest will. And so I think either ending is fine, but... Yeah, the ambiguity is kind of a fun part. And I like that there is at least that ambiguity of the how much is the twitch still there, you know? And, and Yeah. Yeah, how and does it get passed down? He does say at the end, Bane tried to possess her and failed, but he wasn't completely destroyed. Right. And so that does lend credence to the idea that all of the Sith are insidious, but it's each apprentice or the successful apprentices it doesn't have to be each of them well except there's no as, as written in darth plagius there's no chance for an essence transfer either into darth plagius from his master or to um darth plagius to uh darth darth Sidious. that could be correct i can't remember exactly yeah. but maybe the line ended there sure we're also now getting way into the weeds oh, yeah. here, so oh, I, yeah. I just kind of want to bring it back. We're going to have gone way over five minutes, but this is such a good topic. I want to just go on to one other little part of this, which is that I think it also shows one other place where the lack of communication, which I mean, I, I make the joke about a therapist, but it does haunt them because the entire point of book three is a miscommunication between Xana and Bane, because... Bane knows that he is starting to physically deteriorate. He's getting old and his body has gone through so much. And the, the twitch in his hand is the beginning of that. And an essential part of his fear is that he thinks Xana is thinking, if I just wait until he's, you know, a husk of himself, he'll be easy to defeat. Right. And her fear is this is a trick. Right. Well, A, she thinks it's a trick, but B, she also thinks I haven't learned everything I need from him. Right. And And to me, that's kind of a... I get that it's actually showing the the inherent problem of this whole idea, but it was a little frustrating reading the book because I kept being like, if you two would just talk to each other, you'd realize like the rule of two is working. She's going to fight you when she's ready. She just isn't ready quite yet. It was very much a sitcom moment where it's just like, finally, they talk to each other. They're like, oh, I was an idiot the whole time. Yeah. But it's, you know, still really fun books. Uh, really great to have you on, Jonah. Thank you so much. Any other kind of last thing you want to mention before we sign up? Uh, I think that's about it. Cool. Well, again, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for being a part of this. It was so great to have you on, Jonah. So great to have all of our fans. Please listen. Please write a five-star review for this or Superhero Ethics or both. If you do so, uh, if you go to iTunes, write a five-star review for us. And say you're right, you know, say an actual review. Don't just say, like, I'm doing this for the contest. If you do it during September, uh, you get entered into a contest for all the Stranded Panda podcasts uh, to possibly win a um, Oculus 2 or a Nintendo Switch. So we always welcome all reviews, even if it's not five stars. But if you write a five star during September on iTunes for this or any of the other great Stranded Panda podcasts, you'll get entered. And if you write eight reviews for eight different podcasts, you get entered eight times. So definitely check that out. Thank you again so much, Jonah. And to everybody, have a good day. <laughs> <laughs>